Here's what's coming up on today's show. Social Security, they take your 35 best years. They don't have to be consecutive. They just take your 35 best earning years that were subject to Social Security taxation, Mm -hmm. and then they will average those in. There are many factors that contribute to success, skill, good work habits, positive mental attitude, and of course, proper planning. So let's head to the drafting table and get this retirement success blueprint underway with Michael Stewart of Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. I'm your co-host, Mark Killian. Let's get started. Back here for another edition of Retirement Success Blueprint with Michael Stewart from Crystal Lake Tax and Financial. Uh, serving you in the Crystal Lake, Illinois area. Of course, all around, he's got clients all over the place. If you've got some questions, got some concerns, need some help, as always, make sure you're talking with a qualified professional before you take any action on something you hear on our podcast or any other. And you can reach out to Michael and his team at crystallaketax.com. That is crystallaketax.com. This week on the podcast, we're going to finish up with our prior episode where we were talking about the top 10 Social Security myths. We covered the first five, and they were kind of the bigger, more well-known ones. But then we've got five other ones we're going to run through as well with Mike this week and let him give us some good insights on these also. So, Mike, welcome in, buddy. How are you? I'm doing excellent. We're getting ready to roll into May, so that just means summer's ahead. That's right, man. Good, good stuff. Hopefully, uh, hopefully the year will continue to improve. It seems like it's it's trying. <laughs> it's, str- <laughs> it's struggling along the way in all facets. It seems like it's struggling, but uh, uh, we'll see how the year shakes out. We got a long ways to go, but let's get into some more of these myths, Mike. Because again, like I said, we covered kind of the five big ones that I think a lot of times people have. There's a few unique ones that might surprise people as well, so I'm really looking forward to having you break these down for us. Uh, Myth number six out of our 10, you can't work and receive Social Security benefits at the same time. And Mike, as I I mentioned on the first uh, part of this, there's usually like a little nugget of something that kind of helps snowball a myth into making it a myth, right? Making it kind of incorrect. This one's probably the fact of the income limits if you choose to retire early and go into Social Security early. That's my guess. Can you break it down for us? Uh, correct. Yeah. Because, you know, Social Security used to be a lot simpler it, when it first got rolled out in the late 30s, early 40s. And it was basically simple. At 65, you could take your benefits, right? That that was it, you know. And then they started tinkering with it. And they kind of phased full retirement in 66 or 67 to get the full benefit, but you could take it as early as 62, but you'll get less. And there's some rules behind it, or you could wait till 70 and get a bigger benefit, you know. So all of a sudden, they took something that was pretty straightforward and just overcomplicated it. And that's kind of what the government does with things, right? So <laughs> on that, is exactly so you know can you work and get social security benefits at the same time and the answer is maybe so you can claim social security benefits and let's say for let's say for somebody before their full retirement age before 66 or 67 depending on when they're born the rules associated with it is between 62 and 66 you will get a reduction in your benefit of somewhere between 10 to 30 percent you know, so you'll get less money to start. But right. then that, if that's cash flow, it might make sense for you. But then when that happens, then you also are subject to what they call an earnings test. And the earnings test in 2023 is if you earn in wages or profits from a business more than $21,000 and you're under your full retirement age, then for every $2 you make over $21,000, they will take back $1 of your reduced Social Security benefit. So if you're going to make $30,000, $40,000 in a normal job, Basically, they're going to take back all of your Social Security anyway, so it really doesn't make any sense to claim it. You know, not only you're getting a discount on it, but also you're not going to be able to keep it. Yeah. Now, the other rule from an earnings standpoint is if you are over your full retirement age, so now you are that 66, 67, 
the earnings test doesn't uh, that does go away. So now you can make as much money as you want and then still get 100% of those Social Security benefits. And the rationale behind that is that the government said, for somebody who's a great saver, probably doesn't matter if you wind up claiming early and you retire early. But let's say somebody that doesn't have a lot of other resources, you know, because of life or otherwise, they haven't really saved a lot. They don't want that person claiming a reduced benefit at 62 and then living off of that and then all of a sudden working part-time or even full-time. And then all of a sudden, you know, when they're at 68, 70, 72 and can't work anymore, the only income source they have is that reduced Social Security benefit. So that's where that earnings test comes into play is they're trying to discourage you from doing both so you don't hurt yourself later on down the road. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks for breaking that down. Yeah. And I think that's, again, that's kind of how it happens. It's it's kind of like part-time work, right? I mean, many people think, oh, well, if I take it early, you know, and I can make more than this amount, therefore, I'm, you know, I, I, there's no point in doing it. So therefore I can't. And it's like, well, no, you can. There's just some limitations. So. No, absolutely. Like everything, right? So. All right, so that was myth number uh, number six. Let's do number seven here. I don't hear this one a lot, but I'm sure there's a few caveats to this one as well. Social Security benefits are for only U.S. citizens. Well, that kind of seems like a no-brainer, uh, but there are a few caveats to this. No, there are. So, you know, typically you need to be a U.S. citizen. You know, that's really the the key uh, that's out there. But what some people need to understand is that if you are what they call a qualified alien. And in a lot of instances, so you're, you know, you're admitted for permanent residence and you're working and you contribute it on there, you know, or even if you are deemed qualified under certain circumstances, like, you know, you or your child, you, a parent or somebody uh, was, you know, a U.S. citizen, you may be qualified for extra social security benefits. You know, and there's a variety of different type of benefits that you can receive. So, you know, you have the standard ones, which is, do you have your 40 quarters of work? You know, so if you're a qualified alien and had your quarters, then you can qualify. In addition to that, if you are married, then you may actually be, even as a non-U.S. citizen, right. you may qualify for a Social Security benefit. You know, there's all these other hurdles and things for you, but it doesn't automatically exclude you as a non-citizen from being eligible for Social Security benefits. And one thing that we really see on that when you have a non-U.S. citizen, we have quite a few clients that are from Germany and all, th- all throughout Europe. And you also have reciprocal agreements with some of the countries across the world where, you know, you earn their version, like the German Social Security version, how they have their plan. And then here, you know, you're working in the U.S. for another 20, 25 years. So, you, you know, you've been contributing to Social Security here as well. And then now all of a sudden there's a reciprocal plan where those two plans work together in your mm. retirement. You know, so it can get yeah. it can get a little complicated on the international front, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't qualify. Yeah, uh, great information. Way to break that down for us. Uh, and I th- yeah, again, I think it's easy to kind of think, well, of course, this makes sense. And you know, even for folks that maybe live abroad, sometimes they have that question. They kind of wonder, well, I wonder if I could live on you know on the island, so to speak, and still collect Social Security. And I imagine as long as you don't give up citizenship, right? Uh, then you would probably be able to do that. And yeah, of course, I think you have to maintain a certain amount of uh, you know time in the States and so on and so forth. So a lot of little caveats. And again, it's why it's important to talk to a professional when you're... And, and you know, again, we kind of started this whole uh, session, Mike, the first one, talking about what the people at the office can do, the Social, Social Security Administration. There's a lot of great information they can provide you. The myth for that one was just not when's the best time to turn it on for your financial situation. But there's a lot of other things they can provide you with a lot of great information. So uh, definitely go check them out at SSA.gov as well if you haven't uh, done that. And we'll talk about some of that more as we move through the podcast. 
Uh, myth number eight. Uh, this one's a little interesting one as well. So maybe you can explain this one for us, Mike. If you have a pension, you're not eligible for Social Security benefits. I don't think that's accurate either, right? It's not like it could preclude you, but it may alter things. Yeah, so significantly. And, you know, so we have a lot of clients that are either uh, had worked for, you know, local government. So, so they have a public pension or maybe they with the Illinois TRS, Teachers Retirement System okay. on there. And what happens is for a lot of people in those type of public service roles, they haven't, you know, now they've changed it more recently. But, you know, for somebody that's been doing this for 20, 30 years is um, that they weren't paying into Social Security because the money for Social Security was instead going towards their pension plan, their public pension, and which is be, being funded by tax dollars at the same time. So what happens with Social Security is if you have a public pension, then that may phase out any eligibility that you might have for your Social Security benefits under what they call a windfall or a WEP, W-E-P, a windfall provision that basically says because you have this big public pension, then even if you qualified for some little bit of Social Security, a good chunk of that might be kind of wiped out. Now, if you have a private pension, so you worked for Motorola or GE or somebody like that, you know, in a non-public role, then the pension will not impact your Social Security because in addition to putting money in that pension, you are also putting money towards Social Security at the same time. So public pension, it might reduce or impact your Social Security benefits. If it is a private pension, it may impact the taxation on your Social Security benefits, which Mm -hmm. is a whole different conversation, Mm -hmm. but it won't impact your eligibility for Social Security benefits. Gotcha. Right. Okay. That makes sense, right? So uh, there's always those little caveats of those different things. And and I didn't think that was going to be the case, but I can certainly see it being one of those deals where it can alter your benefits. All right, myth number nine, and and this one I kind of think falls into uh, the conversations that we've been hearing about means testing, where that's not a thing yet, but maybe that's something that they do to maybe prolong Social Security. And we kind of touched on that on the prior podcast, but basically it's the the conversation and the myth around Mike that Social Security benefits are based on your income and your total assets, and that's not accurate. No, correct. Yeah. So Social Security benefits are based on basically your lifetime of earnings, your best 35 years of earning. So when they take, doesn't don't have to be successive. So when you get to start filing for Social Security, they're going to go back to whatever wages you had throughout your entire lifetime that were subject to Social Security. And then what they're going to do is they're going to index them, you know, for what they call, you know, a a means indexing, which is, you know, so a dollar in 1972, they're going to inflation adjust it. So it's equivalent to a dollar today to make it kind of a light comparison. And then they're going to say, okay, you know, the first X amount of your wages, then we're going to give you a percentage of that. And then the amount over that, we're going to give you a smaller percentage of that. And then the, even the amount over that third number, that third bend point, we're going to give you a less percentage of that. And what does that really mean? That means they use these three bend points on different levels of income so that there isn't a huge disparity, say somebody that made $75,000 on average for Social Security and somebody that was making $200,000 a year. And the main reason is, yeah, the two hundred thousand will have a slightly larger benefit, but it won't be dramatically different than that person making seventy five or a hundred, because the bigger the income got, the less of that that was actually applied to a higher Social Security benefit. Because the main goal of Social Security was to replace lower income, not necessarily replace somebody who's making one hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. So, and it doesn't matter about your current level of income or your current level of assets. They don't come into consideration currently. It's based on those 35 best years. And then, of course, the age at which you claim it. 
where means testing comes in is, you know, and it'll probably happen at some point, unfortunately, is Social Security saying, well, as a household, you make too much. So maybe you should in retirement. So maybe you should either give back or not be eligible for that Social Security. You know, so if you make $300,000 in retirement and some of that Social Security, well, maybe the government shouldn't be paying you Social Security because you got way too much income. They could use that for somebody else. Yeah, you kind of, we kind of wonder, it's like, well, does, I mean, Oprah doesn't need it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, yeah, that, right? That being, said, that being said, and I'm sure Oprah in that case would say, that's fine. You don't have to pay me. Just give me all the money I originally put in. Right. Yeah. So, and that's the, that's the conversation, right? That's kind of where the interesting parts of this whole thing kind of break down when it comes to means testing and so on and so forth. But for, for most of us, it's it's not like if you have a $5 million house and I have a $1 million house, that somehow you get more money. So that's you know kind of right. that misnomer, right? And, and really that kind of walks into, and you touched on some of these, Mike, but we'll just kind of reiterate it, uh, that myth number 10 is that your Social Security benefits are based on the, the last year's uh, job salary. And maybe this is blurring the lines with some pensions. Pensions don't look back quite as far as... Uh, as Social Security, and you kind of broke that down a little bit for the 35 years, but walk us through it again, please. Yeah, I think where that really comes from, and based on your last job salary or so, is think of it like the teacher pensions like we discussed before. Uh, in Illinois, it's since changed in the last 10 years, but it used to be in the last five years leading into retirement, it didn't matter what you earned over your entire lifetime teaching, you know, that was part of it, but they would average your pension based on the last five years of your earnings. So, you know, it was, which typically are your highest earnings, but also what they would do, a lot of teachers would do is they would start coaching badminton or bowling, or they would take an administrator position or something, because then that extra income actually counted towards their pension. So then maybe they made an extra 15 grand a year, those last five years coaching, you know, when maybe they hadn't prior, but that juiced up their earnings, which means that their lifetime pension got a lot bigger because of how they leveraged those last few years. And Social Security, it doesn't apply that way. In Social Security, they take your 35 best years. They don't have to be consecutive. They just take your 35 best earning years that were subject to Social Security taxation, mm -hmm. and then they will average those in. Now, if you don't have 35 years, let's say you have 25 because you were home taking care of the kids for 10 or something, then that's 25 years of earnings and then 10 zeros, which is going to bring your average Social Security benefit down. Um, so it's not based on your last job. It's really based on your best 35 years of earnings history. Yeah. So you mean that job I had at a Hills department store uh, in the shoe department when I was 16 is is probably not going to stay on that list. Right? <laughs> that yeah, first... Well, the, the funny thing is, depending on the age that you're, you're qualifying, some of the conversations we have with clients... Uh -huh. Uh, if the numbers are a little bit tighter than maybe what they're comfortable with or we're comfortable with might be, hey, you know, I we, we, we want to retire right now. We look at our 35 years and it's pulling in some of those when they were 17, right, and right. 19 and 20 uh -huh. when they were making six grand or eight grand. So if they just even work part time for a couple years, you know, they could retire, you know, technically. And then just work part time in the early couple of years of retirement, they can actually be replacing some of those years while they're getting benefits. And that's going to lead to an even bigger benefit over time. Oh, well, that's really interesting. That's a nice little uh, uh, loophole, for lack of a better term, right? That you can kind of make some adjustments there. And it's probably where it's really important to kind of finish up by saying that, again, that's why, you know, it's important to go to SSA.gov, take, we don't get those little green sheets anymore. So, you know, going and looking and making sure those numbers are accurate, especially for, I imagine, for self-employed people or people who have done a lot of moving around in jobs uh, through COVID, whatever the case is, to make sure that those salary numbers are accurate. 
No, absolutely. Because a lot of times we'll see either companies have gone out of business, but they didn't report the wages, even though our, even though our client actually did withhold that money from payroll mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. So if you if you look at that earnings history and you see some pockets in there, like wait a second, I know I worked that year, but why am I not getting credit? Right. You definitely want to explore that between your tax returns and the Social Security Administration to make sure. Because once again, you don't want to put any donut holes in those thirty five years if you can avoid it. All right. Well, there you go. So that is our ten Social Security myths with Michael. Stewart here. We were covering those over the last two podcasts. And of course, if you haven't done so yet, consider subscribing to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever platform you like using. You can find all the information uh, simply by typing in Retirement Success Blueprint into the search box of said app, whatever one that might be that you like using. Or you could just find it all at crystallaketax.com. That's crystallaketax.com. And drop a line into the team while you're there. We take email questions from time to time here on the show. And we're going to do that. We're going to wrap it up this week with Doug in Rockford. And uh, Doug says, uh, Michael, someone told me that I should start doing some Roth conversions with the money in my IRA, but I've always been told I make too much to do a Roth. So I'm a little confused. Sounds like he's confusing the contributions with the conversions. Exactly. So, Doug, there's there's two different things on that one. So one is a Roth conversion. Roth conversion is where you are taking money that's already in a pre-tax account, like your IRA, your 403B, your 401k, and you're converting it into a Roth IRA. And for that, there is no limit on an annual basis. And there's also no earnings limit currently to do a Roth conversion. So if you've got a million-dollar IRA and you want to convert $100,000 this year, All that means is you're going to take $100,000 out of that traditional IRA. You're going to put it in the tax-free Roth IRA, but there's a toll bridge going across the middle, and that toll bridge is the IRS. So they're going to say, okay, in order for you to put the 100 in the tax-deferred account into the $100,000 tax-free Roth IRA doing a Roth conversion, that means that you got to pay income taxes on that $100,000. And it's going to get taxed at your highest income tax rate. Because remember, let's say you make $50,000 a year, that's taxable. But now you're throwing another $100,000 of taxable income on top of it. So the first thing that you want to do anytime you're even considering Roth conversions is sit down with a fiduciary financial planner and say, okay, first and foremost, does a Roth conversion make sense? Does me paying taxes today make sense when I look out 5, 10, 20 years down the road? Uh, the other part of your question was that you didn't think you were eligible for a Roth is you may not be eligible to do a Roth contribution. That means uh, if you're over 50, you could put up to $7,500 into a Roth IRA. You don't get a tax break, but whatever that $7,500 going for is completely tax free to you. So Roth IRAs have both a contribution limit of $7,500 annually if you're over 50 in addition to an earnings limit that, you know, if you make more than X amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars, you can't contribute. But where there is no cap is on a Roth conversion. Now, if you're several years out from retirement or needing a lot of income off the portfolio, we do a proactive Roth conversion strategy. We run a report called a tax burden analysis. And I'll give you an example, one we did the other day, where we had an individual at a million dollars, he's 65 years of age, doesn't need this specifically for his current income, you know, won't need to touch it till 73 when the government's going to make him take out for required minimum distributions. So we are converting about 125000 a year over the next five or six years. So we're going to get about two-thirds of that converted over to his Roth, pay the taxes on it. And the reason is because in our tax burden analysis, if he just goes with the government's plan of taking the money out for his RMDs, paying the tax on it, and then whatever's left in the back end his kids inherit and they pay tax on on that $100,000, 
he could potentially pay up to $700,000 in income taxes on the original million today. Mm. Or if we had a proactive conversion strategy and only paid about 24% tax over the next five years, he instead of paying $700,000, he can pay about $240,000. Now, nobody likes paying taxes, but if you could pay about <laughs> two-thirds less, that, that's a win at the end of the day. And then we're, you know, we're earning our 1% in that regard. There you go. Yeah, I like that. Win at the end of the day, and and uh, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're, no one's no one's lining up to pay extra taxes. That's for sure. Anyway, so all right, folks. Well, there you go. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on the podcast. As always, we appreciate the email questions. We appreciate folks checking out the podcast, and hopefully, you enjoyed this content around social security myths. Make sure you're talking with a qualified professional like Michael Stewart and his team at Crystal Lake Tax and Financial before you take any action. And we will see you next time here on the show. Visit them at CrystalLakeTax.com. That's Crystal. LakeTax.com. From Michael Stewart, I'm your host, Mark, and we'll catch you next time here on the podcast. Investment advisory services offered through Sound Income Strategies, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are not associated entities. Crystal Lake Tax and Financial is a franchise of the Retirement Income Store. The Retirement Income Store and Sound Income Strategies, LLC, are associated entities.